Hello, my name is Mallory Jenna Robinson. Join me on A Hateful Homicide, a true crime podcast dedicated to telling the stories regarding the murders of transgender, gender non-binary, and gender diverse community members in the United States and abroad. This is A Hateful Homicide. 911, what's your emergency? Yeah. transgender woman has been shot and killed in North Baltimore, Alpha. In the U.S., trans women of color have a life expectancy of just 35 years. This happens on a daily. Another one of my friends got killed right up the street from here. These cases are true. The victims are real and their voices matter. This is A Hateful Homicide. The murder of Bree Golick, Daddy's Girl. Friday, February 13th, 2015, Akron, Ohio. Warning, the following episode you're about to listen to will contain audio evidence of misgendering. Listening discretion is advised. Conversation recorded on February 13, 
2015 in the city of Akron, Ohio. It would be the backdrop of one of the most saddest homicides to take place in Akron. 22-year-old transgender female and gender non-conforming young adult Bree Golick was sharing a home with her 53-year-old cisgendered white male father Kevin Golick. On Friday the 13th, that February 13th of 2015, around 10 p.m., a 911 call comes out to the Summit County Sheriff's Department. It's Kevin. His daughter, 22-year-old Bree, has been stabbed in the neck and is laying on the porch clinging to life. Unfortunately, when paramedics arrived and performed all life-saving measures, it was too late. Bree was pronounced dead 
at 10.30 p.m. on Friday, February 13th at 2015. Detectives wanted to know what happened. They immediately bring Bree's father, Kevin, into the Summit County's um, police department, sheriff's station. And while they're there, you know, Kevin begins to have this conversation um, with um, Sheriff um, Patrick Maloney. And part of this conversation included the fact that his his trans daughter, who he loved and supported, um, was part of a cult. Um, Bree, who was in a rock band and who had, um, you know, who had a very like rock style, rock star lifestyle, um, according to Kevin, um, had per- began to get involved in cults. And so what happens is, welcome my audience, thank you all so much for being part of season three, episode three, Daddy's Girl, um, regarding the hateful homicide of Brie Golick. Oh my goodness, my audience, this case is quite interesting. It has, you know, a father and a trans daughter who share a home in Akron on the 1100 block um, in Akron. And so you have this home that they share. Um, and all of a sudden a 911 call comes out and I, you know, the family is trying to figure out exactly what happened, what, um, what is going on. Kevin's ex-wife and mother to Bree, um, Christine Hamlin, you know, immediately, races over to the hospital where she's given the unfortunate news that her daughter and child is deceased. Well, Sheriff Patrick Maloney of the Summit County Sheriff's wanted to know what happened. And again, this case has a lot of just twists and turns. There's this element of cult that's brought in. Um, according to Kevin, Bree was a member of a cult. Um, Bree owed some cult members, gang members, um, money for drugs. Um, and this now resulted in Bree's hateful homicide. And so initially, Sheriff Patrick Maloney, Christine, uh, you know, Bree's girlfriend who she shared a home with, all of them are getting this news. They're rushing over um, to the hospital in Akron and getting this news that Bree is deceased. So they have to wrap their head around what is going on. And of course, the sheriff and other detectives and, and law enforcement are bringing in other members. So they're interviewing Christine. They're interviewing Bree's fiance. They're interviewing Bree's friends and bandmates. And as they're interviewing these individuals, and they're also interviewing Kevin, since he was the eyewitness to this hateful homicide of his 22-year-old daughter now whose life has been taken just so viciously on this February 13, 2015 homicide. Now we have a difference of stories because as um, Officer Christina Millie Miller, excuse me, as Officer Christina Miller is you know, investigating and doing her interviews to the Hamblin family, the Golick family and friends. One of Bree's friends shares an interesting conversation that Bree had um, with, with, uh, with, with this friend. And the conversation really centers around the fact that Bree and Kevin, father and daughter, 
they um, had been living together. They had recently reconnected probably within the past um, several years. So beginning around 2012. And according to this friend, as well as Christine Hamlin Bree's mom, Kevin and Bree didn't really have much of a relationship growing up. Um, Kevin had been in arrears for child support and had even been arrested and imprisoned in 2007 for lack of paying child support. So with that being said, Bree's friend, who shall remain anonymous, stated that um, Bree was very adamant about Kevin contributing financially to the home um, that, you know, Bree shared with her dad and her girlfriend. Um, and so all of this was really, really important when we think of the conversation that they were having with each other, right? You have these individuals, father and daughter, who are having a difference of opinion surrounding rent, surrounding items being taken from the home. According to this friend, Bree had just argued with her dad an hour before the 911 call came in. So Officer Christina Miller and you know Sheriff Patrick Maloney has some additional questions for um, Kevin. Well, according to Kevin, you know he remained adamant that his daughter was in a cult, and as a result, individuals came in, attacked him, attacked her. He tried to defend his daughter, his child that he was getting to know and love. And all of a sudden, before he knew it, knives were out. Bree is stabbed. He's been sliced. There's blood all over the porch and inside the living room. And Bree is dead. So detectives then asked him, did you and Bree have issues regarding money? Regarding you contributing to the rent? Well, Kevin said, yeah, you know, sometimes, you know, Bree and I would have little disagreements about like how much I should pay, how much I should contribute. But overall, we had a really good, you know, father-daughter relationship. I was accepting of her gender identity and her expression um, and her nonconformity. Um, and I also supported her music. So all of these statements, right, is what they're getting from Kevin. This loving and doting dad who wants to be in his daughter's life, who wants to support his trans child, even so much to the point of living with this child and his daughter's girlfriend. Well, according to Bree's girlfriend, a little bit of that was true that Kevin stated. There was a disagreement about how much Kevin should pay. At this point on February 13th of 2015, Kevin had been residing in the home for about six months. And so, you know, he was unemployed. He was getting like a little bit of government assistance. He was supporting with EBT food stamps. So that was kind of his contribution overall. But in reality, bills had to be paid and the show must go on. And so at this point, six months into the living arrangement where Bree has opened up her home to her dad that she wants to get to know this, you know, beautiful 22 year musician. And next thing you know, within six months of letting her dad live there, she's now dead. Was this due to rent money? Was there a cult that Brie was part of that ultimately contributed to this hateful homicide? What happened to this daddy's girl on that Friday the 13th, back the, just a day before Valentine's Day in 2015? Well, again, my audience, 
detectives continued to probe and dig. And as they looked into Bree's past, they realized that Bree wasn't part of a cult and that Bree didn't have a history of, you know, this overwhelming like drug abuse. However, there had been some domestic violence calls placed out to the Akron, Ohio home that Bree and her dad shared. There was one incident uh, incident where there was a case of domestic violence, specifically where Kevin was, you know, in this drug and fueled rage, specifically meth. And he, you know, was confronted by Bree and her partner um, just about a month before the hateful homicide pertaining to rent and contribution for the 2015 year. And Kevin snapped. He got angry. He was yelling. He, you know, like kind of scuffled with Bree and her partner. The authorities were called. Um, he wasn't necessarily charged with domestic violence, but there was a citation for domestic violence um, as this incident occurred. He was welcomed back into the home a couple of weeks later. Um, he was placed in like a, you know, kind of drug treatment facility to kind of detox and all of those things. And so, you know, by February 1st of 2015, just, you know, under two weeks before the hateful homicide of Bree, this, before we know it, he's in this, you know, back living with Bree and they are sharing space. And unfortunately, things did not get better. As a matter of fact, my audience, things got worse. So much to the fact that Bree and Kevin were arguing daily. And it got to the point where, you know, Bree's partner felt that she needed to stay somewhere else for a little bit. While Bree really tried to navigate this living arrangement with her dad, she was torn, right? She wanted to get to know her dad, but at the same time, she knew that her dad wasn't contributing financially to the household. And as much as groceries are, you know, pivotal to survival, it does not pay the rent. So again, Bree's partner just, you know, took a moment to just, you know, let Bree and her dad figure out what was going on. And within this time frame of a week that we have, from around February 8th to the 13th, where, you know, it was just Bree and her dad. Unfortunately, Kevin continued to do drugs. Kevin continued to get angrier. He knew his time in the home that he shared with Bree was coming to an end. And what does he do? Well, he decides to take matters into his own hands. After about a day or so, and he's been in this interrogation room in the Summit County Jail, he feels the pressure from Sheriff Patrick Maloney, Officer Christina Miller. He feels this pressure from them. And he ultimately begins to change his story. And he says, well, you know, Bree and I, yeah, we fought daily about money, about me living here. I was put out once and then, you know, she allowed me to come back. I made her partner uncomfortable. The partner left. We were still trying to figure things out. But I knew that I was going to be kicked out of the home. I was going to be evicted. And I was okay with that, according to Kevin. Well, Sheriff Patrick Maloney wasn't quite convinced 
that Kevin was telling the truth. He knew that he was onto something, that Kevin was starting to get a little bit closer as to what was really going on. So now we are starting to get away from this idea of a cult of breathing, part of this cult, as there has been no evidence to support that, not only through the Akron PD's investigation, but also just from forensics and cell phone records and conversations with witnesses and family members who knew Bree. There was no evidence of Bree ever being in a cult. So when confronted with this evidence, Kevin backed into a corner. So welcome back my audience again. Kevin has now been backed into a corner and he ultimately admits that his cult story was just that, a hoax. It was not the truth at all. As a matter of fact, Kevin made the whole thing up. It was him. He was responsible for the hateful homicide of his own daughter, Bree Golick. A child to death tells police that son was in a cult. An Ohio man has been charged with murder after police said that he stabbed his 22-year-old gender non-conforming child to death during an altercation. In a statement on Sunday, Trans-Ohio said that it was saddened to learn of the murder of Bree Golick, a 22-years-old trans woman who resided in Akron, Ohio. Jacob Nash, the head of an Akron support group for transgender people, told the Akron Beacon Journal that he was devastated by the fact that this young woman who had so much potential and so much ahead of her. She had come to the support group several years ago and started coming back again more recently. But as the Pittsburgh lesbian correspondent's blog noted, nearly every local media outlet had described the killing by referring to the victim as the son of Kevin Golick. Friends had disputed that the victim identified as a transgender woman. Did Brian at one time identify as Bree? Yes. However, within the last year or so, he identified as Brian. And if I had to put a label on him, something he would hate. By the way, he would identify as an androgynous pansexual man, Jeff Ackerman, who was in a band with Golick told Raw Story in an email. What we do know is that Golick was a drummer and an artist, and Golick's gender presentation was at least occasionally feminine, and that Golick's life was extinguished far too soon. The Human Rights Campaign said, regardless of whether Golick was transgender, genderqueer, or otherwise gender nonconforming, Golick joins a staggeringly long list of LGBTQ individuals who have been murdered in 2015, including transgender women Lamia Beard, Ty Underwood, Yasmin Vashpain, Taha Gabrielle de Jesus and Penny Proud. According to Cleveland.com, Akron police said Kevin Golick lied to 911 dispatchers when he called officers to his home at around 10 p.m. on Friday. Oh my God, are you guys for real, man? Kevin Golick asks the dispatcher at 911 recording. This is like the fourth hefting time I've tried to call 911. The father went on to explain that his son was dying on his front porch. They attacked us, they came into our house, he says. I don't know who did. A bunch of them came in and attacked us in our house, asking, just bring an ambulance, because I think he's dead. He's into a cult and all this SHT, the father continues. These guys came in. I fought them off. They got him. They got me. When detectives arrived, however, they found that Kevin Golick had stabbed Brian to death. The victim was pronounced dead at the scene. Kevin Golick was charged with murder and felony domestic violence. Activists told the Pittsburgh Lesbian Correspondents blog that Kevin Golick might have been referring to the transgender support group as a cult. In the obituary, family continued to refer to the victim as Brian. Brian K. Golick, 22, of Akron, went to be with our creator on February 13, 2013, the obituary said. He 
was a deeply spiritual and artistic person. His interests included painting, jewelry making, meditation, martial arts, video games, anime. And so what you could hear my audience is from Ralph's story here is this incredible tale where Kevin has now even correlated, right, possibly the reason that the cult was actually this trans support group that Brie was part of. As you heard in that audio clipping, there has been some debate, um, especially more so amongst um, Kevin's family and friends, um, as well as Brie's family and friends, surrounding if Brie um, identified as a trans woman. Um, some family and close friends say that Brie did not identify as a trans woman, um, though there is evidence um, in a lot of articles, um, credible articles from USA Today to the Human Rights Campaign, GLAD, etc., who have all cited Brie um, as trans femme, trans woman. Um, there's also photos of Brie, um, who had also began HRT at one point. Um, but again, by the end of her life, was that how she was identifying and expressing? As we know as trans folks, um, our gender identity and expression can be very fluid. So rather Brie at the time was identifying as Brie, her story is still that of Brie because she was still within her truth as a trans person. And unfortunately in spaces, as I know all too well, my audience being from Alabama, sometimes, you know, places just aren't ready for you to be outwardly and openly yourself. And, um, you know, who knows where Brie's life would have ended, you know, at this point, right? If she would have been here and where her, what her gender journey would have looked like. But nonetheless, it is important to make sure that we understand that Kevin, um, you know, lied openly and to the police as well as you heard in that 911 call in the beginning of the episode. And what's heartbreaking is that you have this, you know, parent who is sharing a home on the 1100 block of Edmund Street. And what's sad about this is that, you know, Brie again had opened up her home to Kevin because she knew that Kevin had been living in his truck. But now what I want to do is shift gears and give you a little bit more about Brie, Brianne, Brian Golick, born May 1st, 1992, to Kevin Golick and Christine Hamblin. Brie was an outgoing, incredible, just vivacious youth, introverted at some times, but also was willing to just really be out there and, and be proud. They, um, she had a love for music. Rock, um, heavy metal was part of an incredible band um, that she played in. And it was just, you know, such a beautiful um uh, journey to see with her and her bandmates to go you know they recall where she had played her first live concert back in October um, 23rd at the Empire in Akron so this would have been just about four months before her hateful homicide and she played um you know for the local alternative rock band called Murphy's Children so these you know these bandmates really recalled um just this experience with Brie um and, you know, just really understanding, like, who Brie was. Brie's mom, Christine, who Brie was very close with, who, you know, was the sole parent for so long, recalls that, you know, that Brie loved to make jewelry, as you heard, and was also really into, like, art and video gaming and anime and comics. And so Brie was very much into that, like, cosplay, like, gamer scene, rocker music, but at the same time was had in head over heels in love with her partner, 
and they were, you know, together. Um, this was a cis woman and who shall remain anonymous and also who was openly in a relationship with Brie and very proud. And the two were engaged as well um, prior to the hateful homicide on February 13th of 2015. And so you have these series of events that have just led to Brie now being stabbed in the neck four times and in the back. You have Kevin who has sliced himself on the arm and the deltoid left shoulder just to, you know, look like he's put up some kind of defensive wounds and has that evidence on his body. However, between the, you know, testimonies from Bree's friends who had testified, you know, in court that Bree also was, you know, has stated again that she was in fear of her life. All of this ultimately came into play. But again, Bree just, you know, was so full of life. She wanted to get to know her dad, um, you know, very much so. The, the two didn't have much of a relationship. Kevin and Christine had ended very well early um, into the late 90s, around like 1998. So after that, pretty much for like the next 18 years on and off, Kevin and Bree would have this like in and out father and daughter relationship. Christine, um, you know, tirelessly, you know, put in so much effort to make sure that Kevin would be a dad to Bree, as well as support financially for their child. Unfortunately, it wouldn't come to be as hard as Christine tried, and she tried to get Kevin to pay child support to contribute to, you know, Bree's upbringing. Unfortunately, Kevin was too, you know, consumed with drug usage and partying and other, you know, things in his life at that time. He wasn't in the mood to be a dad. And with that being said, he wasn't in the mood to contribute financially as a dad should. And so these things all boiled over on February 13th of 2015, where you have Bree and Kevin who have not only argued about the lack of rent that Kevin is paying, but they're also disagreeing about the trauma that Bree has went through. The fact that Kevin has never contributed financially to Bree's upbringing, which is something that Bree would bring up in disagreements that Kevin would have with Brie, especially over rent, right? So Brie would say, you don't even want to help me with the rent. It's the least that you can do considering the fact that you've never contributed to child support. So those kind of arguments would really just, you could sense the sense of anger and frustration and grief and trauma that Brie had been enduring. She loved her dad. She loved her dad, but she knew that her dad was a drug abuser. And as a result, Kevin, who, you know, maybe in some distorted way loved his child, did not know how to love his child. He did not know how to be an active and caring and compassionate parent. The drugs consumed him. And so much to the fact of where he would then go and create a story stating that his child is part of a cult, a trans cult. And therefore that cult is what is responsible for his daughter's hateful homicide, all to cover up his greed, his willingness to want to stay in the home now that he has gotten Bree out of the way. And all he has to do is to convince Sheriff Patrick Maloney and Officer Christine Miller that he's innocent, that a cult came in, took his daughter's life, and now he is left picking up the pieces. 
Well, unfortunately for Kevin, Sheriff Patrick Maloney and Officer Christine Miller did not believe it. And because they did not believe the story, Kevin ultimately confessed that on the night of February 13th, 2015, it was around 9.30 p.m., he and Bree had began an argument again. They had just argued an hour before around 8 p.m. about the same thing. And Bree was ready to continue. Bree was pretty much ready at that point on that Friday night to get her dad out of the house and to bring her fiance back in. And Kevin was not hearing it. He refused to go back to his truck and sleep in the passenger seat. He knew that once he was put out of the home this time, that this was the last time. After his hateful words, his transphobic speech and slurs to Brie and her partner just a month before the hateful homicide in January of 2015, Kevin knew he was on thin ice. And what happens when you're on thin ice? It cracks. And so did Kevin. And around 9.50 p.m., he goes and grabs a hunter's knife that he had kept in his truck, comes back into the home, goes up to Bree, who's in the living room, and begins to stab Bree in the neck. Instantly, blood begins to squirt out. This victim falls to the ground. And what does Kevin do? Makes sure that Bree is dead. Stabs again and again and again for four total times. And if that wasn't enough, in this drug-fueled anger, rage, Kevin then stabs Bree in the back. The ultimate betrayal that this daddy's girl entrusted to her father, Kevin. She loved her father. She cared for her father. And what does he do? He murders her because she was ready for him to leave due to his inability to pay the rent and to stay off of drugs. But what's interesting as well, my audience, is I want to shift gears for a moment. And I just want to really highlight the moments that Kevin pointed out. I, I think it's really important because to talk about cults and really this idea of what that looks like for our community. So many times we as trans folks, it's very common for us to get into different groups to belong. And that's common for a lot of people, right? Cis head people, however you identify and express, we want to belong. And so certainly as Brie was in the midst of her gender identity journey, she went to spaces in Ohio, in Akron, in Cleveland to get support. And while she confided this to her dad, he would then go and take that narrative and create it as a cult who came in and murdered Brie because she, according to him, didn't want to be trans anymore. So all of this, right, is the narrative that he spin. But why? Why refer to this trans group, these group of friends and support system for Brie as a cult? And what does that mean? And what are cults exactly? And how are they impacting us as a society, especially as trans folks? As we know historically from the 1969, you know, Sharon Tate murder, the LaBianca Tate murders with Charles Manson and the Manson family, the cult phenomenon has become very powerful and pivotal from, you know, you have true crime cults to, you know, extraterrestrial cults. But what does this look like for trans folks and for Brie? And how can they turn out to be deadly? Let's find out. Oh, 
November 
as they become available. We are community. We stand strong together always. And this was issued on Sunday, February 15th of 2015, just two days after the hateful homicide of Brie Golick, this daddy's girl who had welcomed her dad into her home just six months before and now was dead by the hands of her own father, 53-year-old cisgendered white male, Kevin Golick. And as we conclude this case, my audience, I just want to say to you, Brie Golick, our love bug, we remember you. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever and always. Born May 1st, 1992, and resting on since February 13th of 2015. Thank you all so much, my audience, for tuning in. My name is Mallory Jenner Robinson, host of A Hateful Homicide. Please follow us on Instagram at A Hateful Homicide. You can follow me at Mallory Jenner 90. Please also check out our website at ahatefulhomicide.net. Um, you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other podcast platforms, and use the hashtags A Hateful Homicide, True Crime Podcasts, Trans Awareness, Say Their Names, and Suspenseful Saturdays. I'll see you next Saturday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for Season 3, Episode 4. Thank you so much and enjoy the rest of your day.